You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. All right, go ahead, and this morning, in, our, in a few minutes that we have together, um, we're taking a, a break off of our Ephesians, our, our little series in Ephesians, and something that I felt like the Lord dropped in my heart during prayer on, on Tuesday. And I just want to um, encourage you, if you can, make it out to prayer on Tuesdays at 7 o'clock. It's a great time. And, um, man, we see great things happen. And uh, it's, it's, just, it's just fun. It's really just fun, if I could say it like that. It's always fun to, to just pray and listen to the Holy Spirit and let God speak to us and encourage one another. It's just fun. Okay, so this is something that the Lord dropped in my heart. So open your Bibles to Mark 2. I don't really have a flashy title, and I'm not going to teach, per se, this morning as much as I am going to drop some, some uh, <laughs> maybe some truth bombs, okay? <laughs> if that's a, I don't know if that's a term or not, but all right. Um, just some things that I think I want to speak more or less, uh, preach more or less, a little apostolically to you guys this morning, um, and I, hopefully I'm not going to... I don't want to raise my voice too much or, you know, I, that's not preaching. Preaching isn't running around screaming and saying, Jesus, you know, that's not preaching. Um, preaching is when we get the imparted truth of the Word of God and it begins to do something inside of us. And, and, and uh, apostolically speaking, what happens is it begins to set in motion. The way I like to describe this, what we see in the Bible, whenever I think of an apostolic um, movement, especially in the New Testament, is what's spoken about John the Baptist and his job when he, his job was to proclaim the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus says, he said, look, he's come to make the high places low, and he's come to make the crooked places straight. And so um, that's a shifting, if you would. And there's times in our life that we need a shifting. And there's a lot of reasons why we need a shifting. And we're not going to go into all that today. And it's not, um, a shifting is not necessarily, doesn't come because of a rebuke, like we're doing something wrong. But a shifting is saying, listen, let's just keep our, our ears attentive, our eyes focused, and our hearts just lined up with what God is doing in this hour. And so during prayer on Tuesday, um, the Lord dropped this phrase in my heart, and I just looked into the Word. And again, a little side note okay, here is that when the Lord speaks to you, He's always going to line it up with something in the Word. Everybody look at me and nod, all right? All right. Very important is that you need to find it in the Word. You need to find it in the Word. Find it in the Word. Find it in the Word. Don't ever leave till you find it in the Word. Just made that up. It's free. So, this is what the the Lord dropped in my heart as I started talking to me about new wineskins. And I said, oh, okay, Jesus, you had an encounter with that. And so I I found it, and I was like, I read, it, I read the uh, interaction in Mark 2, and, uh, and the Lord's like, just keep reading. And as I kept reading Mark 2, what I found was this, is that there were four interactions in Mark 2 where Jesus basically disrupts the religious spirit that existed in Capernaum, in Israel, if you would. But really, scratch the geographic location and let's say it like this, is that Jesus disrupted the religious spirit within man. And he did it through four different interactions. And so we're going to read all of Mark 2. It'll be on the screen. Get your phones out, your Bibles out, or just listen. But let's read through this. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. 
They gathered in such a large in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the mat the man was lying on. All right, pause. This just made me think. I love, I love this term. Anybody grow up in the day when you had flannel board Jesus? You guys have heard me talk about flannel board Jesus. This is flannel board Jesus. You know, he's stuck on the flannel board. You know what I'm saying? And this story was always presented to me through the flannel board. And so you had the, the house. You had Jesus in the house with the crowds. And it's white Jesus, by the way. <laughs> different, different question. All right. And so <laughs> what I'm saying is Jesus probably wasn't white, just in case some of you are wondering what I'm saying. <laughs> My wife just shot me a look. All right. <clears throat> And so here we have the man that comes in. I'm, I'm going to mess with you guys today, so just get ready, okay? Um, is that um, man comes in, the four friends are carrying him in, and then all of a sudden the flannel board changes, and boom, he uh, drops the man through the, the roof. They tear open the roof, drops him in. And that, that's such a beautiful story, but there's something here as we read on in Mark chapter 2, and I'll paraphrase the rest of this part. We'll call it part 1 is this, is that Jesus looks at him and he sees the faith of the men that dropped him through because they couldn't get through the front door. There's something to be said about the Jesus that requires us to tear open the roof. There's something said about the Jesus that says, look, I honor the persistent. Because everybody else in the room just had a different mindset. And sometimes persistence means that we got to move past some of the dead thinking that we have in our life. Because the interaction goes like this. Jesus sees him and says, man, your sins are forgiven. And all of a sudden, the religious mindset in that crowded room who got the tickets to the front row said, wait a second. Who are you to say that you can forgive sins? And Jesus understood what they were thinking. And he looked at him and said, So you know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Son, take up your mat and walk. Here's the first thing that you have to know about the Jesus who will mess you up is this. is that Jesus desperately wants to disrupt the order of your life. Jesus desperately wants to disrupt the order of your life. And until Jesus can disrupt the order of your life, there will probably be a place where you are absent of peace in your life. Until Jesus can disrupt the order of your life, until, let me say it like this, because some of you are like, disrupt just feels so unsettling. Until Jesus has absolute authority over the order of your life, there will probably be a place in your life that is absent of peace, that is missing the healing touch of the one who can heal you. This is what I love about Jesus in this, in this first little glimpse of who he is. I call this the Cornelius effect. 
We see this same disruption in the early church where Peter receives, and this is recorded in the book of Acts, where Peter receives a vision. And of course, Peter's nobility extends past his common sense. His ability to listen. And what God does is He drops this blanket in front of Peter with these unclean animals. We know this story, right? And Peter looks at it, and again, his nobility rises up. And really, if we just want to brass tacks this, it was just a religious spirit that Peter had lingering on him. And he goes, no, God, I'll never, never eat from these things. And, and the, voice, the voice of the Lord kept coming back to him, rise up and eat these things. No, Lord, I'll never, I'll never eat of these things. And what God was doing, what the Holy Spirit was doing was this, was showing him and telling him this, that, look, I'm sending you to the Gentiles, specifically to this man named Cornelius, who I'm speaking to, who I love, who I have relationship with, and I'm sending you to the Gentiles because they can receive salvation the same way you did. And so Peter reluctantly goes. And we know the story because God had already spoke to Cornelius. As a matter of fact, there, there, there was a little bit of a breakdown in, in, in the interpretation. But here's what happens, and here's how the story goes, is that Peter comes to Cornelius' house after the angel of the Lord speaks to him, and, and he gets there, and he begins, he goes, I don't know why I'm here, and he, he's, he just begins to preach the gospel. And this is where Peter's nobility stops, and the Holy Spirit begins to kick in, because he defaults to what he knows has the power to change somebody's life. And as he preaches the gospel, this is what God does. This is what the Godhead does is that the Scripture tells us that Cornelius and his family, the whole home... See, oh, come on. See, because Cornelius had expectation. Cornelius understood that something was about to get disrupted in his life. So his expectation caused him to invite his family and his friends and to fill up his house with people. So that when Peter began to preach the Gospel, the Holy Spirit fell... And Cornelius and everybody in that household began to speak in tongues. And it left Peter sideways. Because Peter said, wait a second, did they even accept Jesus yet? Have they ever been baptized? See, Peter had an order, but Jesus, but God came and disrupted the order. But the end result was the same thing. And the conclusion of the matter was this, that his grace freely flowed to the Gentiles. All right. <laughs> he came to disrupt our order. Why? Because his ways are always higher than our ways. If you're struggling in some unknowns or some impossibilities, but yet you feel like you're trying to figure it out, my suggestion is to you is to let go. Let go. Because this, when we choose to let go, this is what happens, is that perspective of heaven begins to take the proper order in our life. The perspective of heaven begins to take the proper order in our life. There are some things that we will wrestle with, that we will try to understand, that we will try to especially understand God's timing, figure out what he's doing. We'll try to fix them. We'll try to make them right. And anytime we try to step in and and get control. Anytime we try to figure out 
God, why are you doing what you're doing? And we refuse to hear, we refuse to see. What takes place is this, is that we disrupt the order of the perspective of heaven within our lives. And God wants to bring that back. And the only way that the perspective of heaven can be brought back is when we give him absolute control. All right, let's keep reading in Mark chapter 2. Everybody okay? All right. Let's start in verse 13. It says this, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. He walked along. He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Wow. Wow. The second thing that Jesus came to do and disrupt a little bit in our life is this understanding is that he came to heal the broken. He came to heal the broken. The very truth that Jesus came to heal the broken, that he dedicated his ministry, that he was willing to do this in light of the perspective of the people looking around. And you have to absolutely understand that when Jesus did this, he knew exactly what the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious folks of the day were thinking. He knew exactly what they were thinking. He understood their heart. He knew their thoughts. He knew their intents. But Jesus chose to do this. And the reason why is simple. Because by him doing this, by him going to the broken, it is a reflection, an absolute reflection of his goodness and his grace being poured out. His goodness and his grace being poured out. See, this is the thing that, that messes with us a lot of times and will stand in the way of grace moving in our life. The flow of grace can be blocked by the spirit of offense in our life. What caused the religious people within Israel at that day to look at Jesus and go, how dare he sit down with these people who are deemed sinful? It's because they saw something in Jesus that was true, that was life-giving. And they saw that in Jesus being willing to go to the people who were considered outcasts, considered unclean, considered sinful, that it stirred up offense in their heart. It stirred up offense in their heart. They understood that because they couldn't bring the freedom, they couldn't connect the, the, the chasm between the broken and the whole, that what, they were, that what they were giving in the way of their form of righteousness didn't set anybody free. They understood that. So I want you to hear this. I want you to please listen to this. Because this speaks to this grace that Jesus gives. If there is a form of righteousness or grace that you are speaking of in the name of Jesus that is not bringing freedom to people, it is not the grace of Jesus. If you're saying something to be true about Jesus, about who he is, but it doesn't bring freedom in your life or bring freedom to somebody else's life, you are not speaking from Jesus. How do you know? Because Jesus says it in Mark 2. 
He said, I didn't come to the whole. He wasn't calling the Pharisees righteous like they had it figured out. He was saying, you think you have it figured out. I came to those who understand that they're broken. And it also speaks to something else in our life. And when it comes to understanding how we perceive grace moving in our life, is that we have to come and truly be vulnerable and exposed before the Lord. A lot of times, and what the spirit of religion will do in our lives is this. When we come to the Lord, when it's just us and the Lord, and we know that there is something broken or something missing in our life, is that we will refuse to repent. And it's in the position of the presence of God when we need grace to flow the most that we must find ourselves bare and open, exposed, and saying, God, if there is anything unclean in me, I'm coming to you broken. I'm coming to you broken. Because it's in this place that Jesus gives the promise that I've come to those who are broken. I've come to restore those who are broken. But I will reject those who think that they have it figured out. Look at me and smile. See, because what us, having figured, us thinking that we have it figured out says is this, is that we have a form of grace that we think that we can self-sustain and satisfy apart from Jesus. And so Jesus came and he disrupted this. And he said, listen, I've come to heal the broken. I've come to the weak. And it points our attention to this place too. When we see the broken. Now let me ask you this question just to ponder. What's more important in the areas of the world that we see? Where we see disruption and we see division. Is it more proper for us to be right? Or for us to be a display of grace? It's just a question. It's just a question. It's one that we all wrestle with. What happens in the situations of our life when what we say to be true about Jesus isn't bringing freedom? See, Jesus dealt with that here in Mark 2. Because he looked at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he said this, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's keep going. Mark 2, verse 18. All right. Part 3. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but not yours or not? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so as long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will, will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. 
And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. All right. Justin, you can come on up, man. We're almost done here, guys. The third thing that we see in Mark 2, and we learn from this particular passage, is this. Is that Jesus is constantly breaking the old and bringing in the new. He is constantly breaking the old and bringing in the new. What's interesting about this passage that we just read is this, is that here we see something a little different in Mark 2. Is that it's the Pharisees again coming to Jesus in the religious portion of Israel coming to Jesus and accusing him of something. Accusing him of not fasting and his disciples of not fasting. But this time it's a little different because he brings in John the Baptist and his disciples. He brings in Jesus' cousin. That's just not nice. When you get family working against family, that's just not kind. But here's the truth is that Here's what we, we learn, is that the fasting that the Pharisees and even John the Baptist's disciples were doing was not something that was dedicated by the law. It wasn't dictated by the law. What they were doing is something that they imposed themselves as a form of righteousness, of self-righteousness. But it had become so steeped into the religious culture of the day that it became the norm. Well, I tell you what, this is an interesting conversation about holiness right here. See, it's wild to think that, it's not uncommon for us to think that the Pharisees would be doing this, but it's pretty wild for us to think that John the Baptist and his disciples would be doing this. It's pretty crazy to think that they would have got locked up into this. I mean, John the Baptist is the guy who said, my job is to tell people about Jesus. Like, he was a forerunner. He was a revivalist. He broke the mold. He defied the religious. But here we see in Mark 2 that somehow along the way, they had succumbed to this order, this idea of what it meant to be truly a religious people. And Jesus goes, listen, we're not fasting because I want you to understand there's a time that my disciples and and the church, he's speaking to us, and this is important for us to understand, there's times for us to fast. But Jesus is saying, listen, I'm with them. The joy is with them. The life is with them. There's no reason for them to sorrow. There's no reason for them to lament. The type of fasting that the Pharisees and John the Baptist were doing is that they were lamenting, they were renting their clothes, ripping their clothes, throwing ash over their head. It was a public display. But Jesus turned around and said, it's foolishness because you're missing the truth of who I am and that the life is right in front of you. And then he goes on and he says this. He goes, look, you guys are are begging. And maybe he, he throws a nod out to John the Baptist. And he looks at John and he goes, John, you're begging for the new wine. But see, you're using an old wineskin. You're begging for the Holy Spirit to move, but you're holding on to wrong thinking. You're asking God to move in your city, but you you harbor unforgiveness. You're asking for my grace to be poured out on the land, 
but you're not willing to cross over. See, because Jesus came to continually break off the old and to release the new. And so Jesus closes out this statement and said, listen, the new wine is going to require new wineskins. The new wine is going to require new wineskins. This is what I love about Jesus and what constantly confuses us, so often confuses us about what he does, when he does it, and how he does it. In our lives, there are things in my life that he is constantly breaking off of me. Can I be honest with you and how this applies to me? I'll be perfectly vulnerable in the hopes that it will help somebody else. Is that there have been specific areas of my life where God is just confronting different spirits of fear and anxiety in my life and saying, Andy, you cannot both hang on to my healing and hang on to this. They will not coexist. But God, you don't understand. I'm nervous. This is scurry. God's like, do you trust me? More importantly, Andy, you can't keep walking in what I've called you to walk in and hold on to fear. See, there's some things that God has come to break off of us so that he can pour in the new. He can pour in the new wine in our lives. And so when we feel a move of God moving on our lives or we need a new wine in our life, what we need to pray for is new wineskin. Say, God, give me a heart enlarged to, to, to handle what you are pouring out inside of us. I also love this truth concerning the church. And for us at Freedom Christian Fellowship, I love what it means for us. Because it means this. It's something I said last week is this. Is that we have to be married to the vision, not to the ministry. With every generation, there is a fresh approach to how we do church, to what we do. And we should never be afraid of that. And we should never hold on to things. And Freedom, you guys are not a church like this. So I'm not speaking to you, but what I'm saying, that the church as a whole should never be afraid to hold on to something that is rooted in tradition and not the grace and freedom of Jesus. Because the day might come where it has to be shifted up, and as long as the name of Jesus is glorified, as long as the name of Jesus is exalted, and it brings people to Jesus, then it is good. It's good. And we see this pattern throughout History, I mean, look, if you study any major move of God, just in, our, in the United States in the last few hundred years, when you look at the Azusa revival, God did something just fantastic. In a ghetto part of Los Angeles, he used an African-American man to bring revival. The move of the Holy Spirit, the gift, the renewed gift of speaking in tongues to the church. And God moved, and he, he began to move across racial borders in a time where it wasn't okay. But God said, nuh-uh, I'm pouring out new wine, and I'm going to use a new wine skin. And then we see, even through the healing movement, it, oh, it just baffled, it baffled so many people. These guys running around screaming about faith and screaming about healing, and they got outside the walls of the church, and they popped up tents. 
And all we can do is fix our eyes on the, on the ones who fell away and the ones who just acted a little wonky. That's all we can do, right? That's all we can see. But yet we miss the truth that a new wine was poured out, the revelation of healing was poured out. And there was a new wineskin. And then we see the Jesus movement where God just unleashed hippies. Some of you are recovering hippies. It's okay. We love you. You're still welcome here. <laughs> the church didn't know what to do. Most of them kicked them out and said, we don't like it because you have long hair and you stink. <laughs> and sometimes some of you are coming in and you just smoke pot and then you're coming in the door. And that's not what church folks do. They can't know. And you're coming in broken, and you're coming in because your families are messed up, and you're coming in, and you're just, you're just not right for what we... But yet, God moved. And when the church couldn't hold it, He moved it to the, to the beaches and to the, to the city streets and to the doors. Because when there is a new wine, there has to be a new wine skin. Mm. But can I tell you something about new wine and new wineskin? Is that new wine and new wineskin is not contained with just movements. It's in our lives personally. And we've got to be hungry and say, God, as much as we desire the new wine of, your, of the Holy Spirit to be poured out into our lives, we want new wineskin. Begin to stretch me and expand me. Give me eyes to see, begin to break off wrong thinking, begin to destroy wrong thoughts, to be, destroy strongholds in my life. Clear out my expectations because I want new wine skin. And I want new wine. And the last thing we see here, Mark 2, verse 22, 23. It says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered and said, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered into the house of God, and he ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath, of the Sabbath. The last thing in Mark 2 that we see is this, is that Jesus wants to restore and exceed your expectations. He wants to restore and eat, exceed your expectations. We see this encounter here and again. It's the religious section of Israel coming to Him and they're just watchdogging him at this point. They're trying to find a place where they can trap him, trick him, confound him with the law. And they see him and his disciples picking grain, which was unlawful to do. It was unlawful for there to be any work done on the Sabbath. You weren't supposed to lift a finger toward work on the Sabbath. And here Jesus and his disciples are picking grain out of the field. And Jesus makes a reference to an encounter that David had at a part of David's life where him and his mighty men were, were starving. They were hungry. 
And he was running for his life. And he goes into the holy place and he pulls from the consecrated bread and he eats of it. Which Jesus rightfully says, this is only for the high priest to eat. The, the consecrated bread was only for the high priest and his family. Not a king, not a common man could eat from that. But David went in there. And then Jesus makes this statement. And he says this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. And here's what Jesus is saying is that if the sum total, if the sum total of your most holy time set apart for God is established around these rules and set apart on one day, you're missing the mark. How do we know this? Because when you flip the chapter over to Mark 3, the very first grouping of passage that you see, it's a continuation on this story where Jesus actually heals a man who has a deformed hand on the Sabbath. And he looks at the Pharisees and they say, they're trying to trap Jesus. And they said, is he going to heal on, on the Sabbath because it's unlawful? And Jesus looks at him and he says, is it evil or good to let a man die? And he goes, look, so that you know that I'm good. He stretches his hand out and he heals this man. And this is the revelation and the thing that we need to grasp about Jesus is that in order for our expectations to be expanded, to receive the new wine, to begin to love and give grace to the broken and to the hurting, to allow him to rearrange the order of our life, then Jesus must be an everyday experience for us. Because in essence, to simplify this, Jesus was looking at him and saying, listen, you are just trying to be religious on the Sabbath. And these, your religion has narrowed you into this, pigeonholed you into this place where you're looking at the stupidest laws and you're missing the life-giving source. And the reality is this. When our expectation is zero through the week, it will be even lower when we come together corporately. But when we come every day and say, Jesus, I'm going to meet with you on Monday. I'm going to meet with you on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. On Saturday, I'm going to double up. When we come together on Sunday, something powerful is going to happen. And Jesus says, listen, we've got to encounter the one who every day, every day, every day is setting us free. Is setting us free. Is setting us free. Amen. Amen. All right, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you this morning. Lord, I pray for those here. Listen, just <clears throat> where you sit this morning. God is so good, and everything that he did, even in Mark 2, was a reflection of his goodness. Yes, Jesus got upset with the religious attitude that existed within the Pharisees, but he never got mad at man. Nope. Jesus never got angry at man. He never got angry at the sinner. He never got angry at the broken. He never got angry at those who were searching and seeking. And this morning, right where you are, if you're in a place where you're searching and you're seeking, you're saying, God, I need your, a touch of your grace. I need to give you permission to reorder my life. 
God, I need a heart of compassion because I know that there are broken people that you've called me to. But God, first, heal the brokenness in my heart. If you're saying, God, I'm looking for new wine, but I'm letting you give me new wineskins. Some of you this morning, there's a, just a release of creativity. There's just a release of creativity because there's ideas that the Lord is giving you that are going to tell the truth of his gospel and set people free like never before. And so, Lord, we just de- declare the new wineskin. God, we pray, Lord, every one of us, that you just begin to expand our hearts and say, Jesus, we want you every day. We want you to exceed our expectations every day. Move powerfully in our lives every day. Every day, God. We come hungry. Every day we come and we say, expand our hearts. Every day we say more. More, more, more of who you are more of who you are in us. Give us a perspective of heaven. Father, one more thing I pray, Lord, because I know there's some folks here that are, I just feel, Lord, are, are, are wrestling with this. Lord, I just pray just an overwhelming, very tangible, just release of your grace for those who are wrestling, Lord, in their mind. Father, whether they're wrestling with whether or not they made the right decision, just peace. Father, let them know that you're bigger than the decisions they make. Let them know that your love is greater. Lord, if they're wrestling with with anxiety, Lord God, be a God of peace. Let your grace come and just rest over their minds. Peace in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the same way that you healed Jesus on that Sabbath day, Lord, we declare healing over our physical bodies because of who you are. And I thank you for this, Jesus. I thank you for this. Lord, extend that same grace, Lord, to every every person, Lord. We receive that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. If I can have the ushers just come up quickly. Go ahead and prepare your tithe and your offering, please. If you need an envelope, it's in the seat back in front of you. If you don't see one, just lift your hand. Thank you. And uh, hmm. And God is so good. He's so good. He's so good. <laughs> yep. So good. He's so good. Hallelujah. This Wednesday, we have our, our groups meeting back again. We took a break. And um, man, I hope you got to enjoy your 4th of July. Hope you got to um, spend it with some family and friends and just relax a little bit. What a... What a, a great, um, great time! But we'll be joint. We'll be we'll be gathering back on Wednesday, and uh, <laughs> and having fun. Ronnie's back there somewhere, huh? Are you? Uh, <laughs> all right. 
Are you guys meeting on Wednesday, Ronnie? Okay. Are you speaking? Oh. All right, no, Ronnie's not. Oh. Well, now nobody's going to come, Ronnie. Way to go. All right, I'm just kidding. Let's pray for this. Father, bless this, this tithe and this offering in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen, amen. All right. I want to encourage you guys to continue to pray for our youth um, and our children. Our children come back today, and our youth come back on Monday, just so they get one more night. Our young people get one more night. So just pray that, um, that God just continues to move and just uh, do some awesome things. And, uh, and pray for our children, and man, it's going to be great. We thank the Lord that they're just a revival generation. They're a generation of world changers. And so, amen, amen. Go ahead and stand to your feet if you're able. All right. God, I just thank you. I just thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Hmm. Jesus, thank you for who you are. I just feel like the, it's funny. I just just sitting on this for a second, okay? It's okay. Listen, if that's you, just just make some posture to the Lord. Whether it's you need to lift your hands or whatever it is, God just Pour out your grace. Thank you, Lord. Yep. Just more and more and more. Just more and more and more. 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 More Holy Spirit. More Holy Spirit. More Holy Spirit. Yeah, we're hungry for you, Holy Spirit. More, more, more of you, Jesus. More of you, Jesus. I break off every lie of the enemy now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, move, 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 move. Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. 